computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. everyone and welcome to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I'm your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Crane Just Make Basketball on Twitter and I'm here for a quick solo pod going over three Lakers topics, two NBA topics, and one data trend for the Lakers in a quick 3-2-1 rapid fire fashion. Before we get into that, I just want to mention the Lakers are coming off of a nice win against the Orlando Magic, where AD didn't play, LeBron looked dominant, the defense really locked in and was clicking well in that third quarter, held Orlando, who's now 5-23, and uh, to only 10 points after, what, let's see, 52 points in the first half, 32 points in the fourth quarter, but that third quarter really, really locked in, and there was a huge stretch where Orlando just could not score at all. We saw Dwight play the most minutes he's played in a month. Reeves added 25 minutes of solid defense. We saw LeBron with some fantastic highlight blocks, a couple of chase down blocks. Uh, we saw Malik Monk, Avery Bradley, THT were all solid on ball. And it was a good team win and a nice win to get in, a comfortable win. Uh, the, the final score was only a 12-point win, but the Lakers were up a good bit and then slowly let the foot off the pedal in the fourth quarter. But it was, it was a pretty convincing, strong win, and I was really encouraged by it in a lot of ways. And after months of the season in the beginning where we couldn't quite point to comfortable wins, no matter how easy the, oppo- how easy the opponent The Lakers have now won seven of their last 11 games and have had somewhat comfortable wins in each of their last four games. So that to me is encouraging. If you're a really good team, you need to really beat up on on some other bad teams and even some good teams. Um, So, you know, in that stretch, we have seen a constant uptick in how often the team is going to their good concepts. And to me, this is directly contributing to how well they're performing. Uh, You know, you're always going to get good or bad shot making from different guys or strong performances, but a good way to just kind of raise the bar for everyone is to be running strong schemes. And we've seen, and we've covered this throughout the season, the Lakers have some good stuff in their playbook. Their issue had more to do with how often they were running those concepts. So this is something that I had been tracking, posting like play-by-plays basically and saying, you know, this is what the Lakers did on this play. Here's what they were trying to do on that play. Shot didn't always go in. It wasn't always executed the best, but we could at least get a sense for what they were trying to do and through that be able to gauge the process that the team was having. And a couple weeks ago, the percentage of their plays that had a strong concept happening, uh, it just concepts divided by half-court offensive plays against man defense, it was in the mid-40s. Uh, low 50 percentage, low, low 50 percentages, and we're approaching a point now where they just had 89% in that win against Orlando, and there were several quarters where they had more concepts that were strong than they even had possessions. Like one, two, three, four different strong attacks within a 15-second period is just really strong offense and is so much better just night and day compared to what we've seen from the same team with these same guys just a couple of weeks ago. So that to me is really encouraging. And really since the, I guess the second Sacramento game is where we started to see this slow uptick from around 50% to nearly 90% yesterday. 
And it's pretty easy to create a narrative without really facts behind it or, or just pointing to specific things to tell people to look at and shaping what they're seeing with, you know, that confirmation bias. But I've been tr doing my best to show my work, publish these play-by-plays, share the videos showcasing those concepts and why they're working. And there's a pretty direct relationship between what's being used and how well the team is performing, how well these individuals are able to like, or how easily they're able to perform. That smarter approach has also transcended lineups in a way I was hoping to see and really encouraged to see recently. We've seen certain lineups certainly used more often recently, like LeBron at center lineups weren't used all that much earlier in the year. Now we're seeing them a lot. So the more recent boosting of the play calling is going to disproportionately benefit them just because a you know a higher proportion of those uh, the minutes for that lineup have happened with the good play calling going on whereas other groups have been playing all year long so keep that in mind but we've seen over this recent stretch just about all these lineups playing really well like it, it hasn't seemed to matter there are groups that like a month ago or three weeks ago, two weeks ago, you said, oh, this group can't perform well because there's no spacing. And yesterday we're seeing the team run sets, run actions that completely negate those issues. And that's really encouraging to me. It's not this team surviving offensively based on transition. The transition is now the cherry on top. And it's the, the team has a much healthier, much stronger half-court offense that appears purposeful um, and is very encouraging to me. The approach I've been pitching for the Lakers to get to a point where they're truly contending offensively has always been, you know, improve your play calling. You have the right sets, figure out how to use them better and more often. And then defensively with better health and some, some tweaks to the rotation, you can make the most of what you have. Schematically, you're always, already doing a pretty good job, but we are currently right now seeing the offensive end of this happen before our very eyes. So that's encouraging to me. And this is something that should work against better teams too. It's, it's not like guaranteed. It's not, you know, run this stuff more and you're always going to beat everybody. But running good stuff for half your plays and then BSing through the other half might scrape by bad teams and might lose to good teams most of the time. Um, the way we saw the Lakers earlier in the season. But when you're using these smart concepts just constantly, you're raising that floor, you're raising the ceiling and, you know, running good stuff 90% of the time against Phoenix is going to be better than running good stuff 50% of the time against Phoenix. Will it be enough to win? Hopefully. And we, you know, we'll see how the team looks once they get back to that point and they play the Suns soon. But this is just from a process standpoint, something that is getting the Lakers to the point where now they are convincingly beating bad teams and had some convincing wins against good teams. And it, it bodes very well for this team's future. And now with that out of the way, Let's get into some hot, you know, rapid topics. Three Lakers topics. Number one, the Lakers are countering post help. This kind of goes along with what I was just talking about, but we are seeing the team be much smarter about how they are countering when defenses send a second man to LeBron or to AD or to Russ, all three of which post up a good bit. Since the Boston game, the team has done a good job flashing players from the weak side or from the opposite dunker spot to the middle of the paint. And they're doing this against what I've been calling box coverage, which is like, you know, there's one post defender on ball, and then the other four defenders are at each of the blocks in each of the elbows. So they make a rectangle. They're right along the outside of the paint. And 
the you know the opening in that when you have 10 eyes on LeBron or whoever's on ball is to flash somebody into the middle there catch and shoot or catch collapse the defense and then kick it out for three and we've seen both of those options used more and more frequently I can literally pull up video examples from each of the past like five or six games and post those uh, this has been used more and more we've seen a gradual growth and this is part of the reason I was still really encouraged after the Memphis loss when others might have been down, you know, you, you win, you're happy, you, you lose, you're sad. But there were process elements of that game that were really encouraging and boded, that, that bode well for the team's future. And we've seen them continue to grow on that. And this is just really, really key for this group. Um, a formula for success when you have AD, when you have LeBron, when you have Russ, is to have strong 1v1 players, which they do. And then you're going to force the defense to send extra help against them, which happens. And then you, the, the key piece of this is you need to be able to punish that defense for helping. You can't just, you know, kick it out for a reset. You have to be able to get easy dunks, easy layups, wide open corner threes for shooters, not for just random guys, but for shooters. And this is what we're seeing the Lakers be better and better at through the, the I mean, they use more pin and flares against Orlando than they've used in any game this season that I've seen. Um, just much, much stronger organization. They're getting dunks or getting layups with those baseline flashes when baseline help is coming or cutting strong side when strong side help is coming or flashing to the middle versus that box coverage or pin and flare screens towards the top of the key or towards the weak side, depending on where the weakness is. So there's, you can watch an offense and see what they're trying to do and see if what they're doing makes sense based on what the defense is doing. And we see that with the Lakers. So I am encouraged by this. They're going to continue to see different types of defensive coverages in the post, but by now they've shown that they know how to beat just about everything. So we'll see them roll with the punches, hopefully scout well to see what's likely coming in future games and have a good game plan. But I feel good about this. And if this team has a chance to win the title, they have to be good at this. And I think they are being good at this. And now defenses are at a point where they don't feel comfortable either helping or not helping. You want to put them into in a conundrum where it's, okay, do we let LeBron go cook or do we take him away and force these other guys to beat us? But those other guys, because of the organization, are getting wide open shots at the rim or, or on easy threes. So that's one thing. Second thing is the Lakers defensive player development. Really want to give this a shout out. Specifically, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington. These are two guys who I scouted this past offseason, looked at film, went through 10 games at least for each of them, and I logged against a rubric how good they were at each, you know, different things on ball, in ball screens, chasing off ball, rotating, all of that. Super, you know, a bunch of work, put together something pretty comprehensive. And these are both guys that were good chasers, and Monk was a pretty good rotator, but both of them on ball had issues. And they've both this season really improved in this area. They've gone from pretty poor to about average, which is a big leap, um, below a little below average and average between the two of them. But that's still really important. And both are still decent chasers off ball. Monk's a good rotator. So Monk overall, as a result of this growth, is a result of this development that he's seen with the Lakers in a way he didn't see under other staffs and other teams has really raised his level of defense in my eyes and puts him in a position where he can be getting more minutes and he can be play, playing more. And we're seeing the Lakers coaching staff trust both of these players more in a way they did not earlier in the season. Um, part of this might be, you know, feeling they're pushed towards this route because of, you know, offense struggling with spacing. But we're seeing both of these two players used more at the point of attack 
more and more um, instead of like Russell Westbrook. And, and Russ is still at the, the point of attack, but uh, he's being used off ball more. We're seeing these guys used on ball more in the same lineups. And that to me really stands out when it's like, okay, Wayne Ellington, go take the other team point guard. Russ, you go chase guys around screens. Like that, that stands out to me. We see this in the data. We're seeing it on film and the trust that the staff has in those guys. And also at the same time, trying to, trying to manage what they're asking Russ to do defensively is, you know, really noteworthy. And you don't get to that point if they don't trust those guys on ball. So that shout out to them because because that's been a big, big jump for both of those guys. And we see what both of them add offensively. And the whole time defense has been the concern with them. And with this growth, you have to adjust that analysis. Now, the third thing, the energy bar usage for stars. If you listen to the last pod, I went over Anthony Davis's load and tried to analyze his game and, and, you know, what are realistic expectations? How is he performing against them? And part of that analysis was going over the fact that the load that he carries on offense and defense combined is just unprecedented. And, you know, especially after last night when LeBron had a nice, you know, really fantastic game, just really spectacular, had a bunch of fun with it. It was just showman stuff, uh, great, you know, highlight blocks and, and crazy threes and ISO and driving and facilitating, just doing a great job. We heard people saying, yeah, you know what? I don't quite believe this, uh, you know, 80 carries a heavy load. Look what LeBron's doing. Look at what, look what Russ has to do. They're doing this too. Like it's not just AD. So we don't really buy that. The thing is, they do carry a heavy load on offense, higher than Anthony Davis, but defensively, it is just night and day between what these guys are asked to do. And really, what I'm trying to say with this isn't that they're bad defensively and 80 is good. What I'm saying is where they're spending their energy bar is on offense. And AD has to spend his energy bar on both sides of the court. And if he doesn't spend it on defense, we absolutely rip him apart as, as fans and this is just important context. We're seeing AD switch one through five. He's defending the he's defending more threes than any Laker. He's defending the rim more than any Laker that's not a center. He is the guy battling for contested rebounds. He's taking on tough matchups. And he's doing all of this in addition to what he does on offense. For more detail, check out that last pod. But that's the AD situation. Now, LeBron defensively, he will have some really solid plays. And we saw him last night have several highlight blocks. That one nice, you know, you could see it coming. It was like uh, the, the red shell. I forget who tweeted that out, but like playing Mario, the red shell coming at somebody in front of you, just following them, tracing them, and then blocking them at the rim. We saw just, and then, you know, fantastic like flexes and reactions after each. But bigger picture with LeBron, defensively, he's picking his spots and he is focusing his energy bar on offense. It's not bad, it's not wrong, but it's context. And it's it's part of this broader discussion when we talk about the three Lakers stars. Um, his on-ball defense has been getting worse and worse as he ages. This is normal, this is natural. And I think it's worth mentioning that offensively, he's found ways to change his game, be more of a jump shooter, and, and find ways to, while he can't jump as high, while he doesn't have as much force and thrust to the rim, still be really effective defensively, he it's really hard to do that. And we're seeing more of just him being asked to do less. And and that's okay. It's just, you know, he's focusing his energy bar on offense. Um, if you map out defenders this season in terms of like how versatile they've been guarding different positions, 
and how tough of matchups they've been taking on and like how often they're guarding like number one options, we can see from that, you know, two axis chart, different corners of different types of guys. We see the one corner that has guys that are super switchy, but in a way where they are purposefully switching and guarding different positions in order to take on the other team's best player. And we see Aaron Gordon, we see uh, Lou Dort and some of these other guys. Then we also see a corner that has, and actually, wait, let me pull this up. Who else is up here? We see guys like Paul George, Jimmy Butler, uh, PJ Tucker, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon's up there, Andrew Wiggins. Some of these guys, like uh, Jason Tate, KCP's even up there. He's, he's, you know, guarding different positions in order to take on tough matchups. And then we also see guys in the other corner that is players that are switching a lot, but in order to stay away from the tough matchups. And LeBron is in that corner, and he's pretty far deep into that corner, along with guys like Luca, Luke Kennard, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Trey Young, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Pat Connaughton, Carmelo Anthony. Switching them away from some of the tougher matchups. And it's just context. This is a context stat, and it's context for this discussion. He is focusing his energy bar on one end of the court. Um, if we map out like how active he is guarding uh, like three-pointers, uh, just contesting threes and contesting shots at the rim among players in his perimeter big position, which is our b-ball index position group that we come up with based on who he's guarding, the, the types of players he's guarding, what types of shots he's guarding, all of that. He is in the perimeter big group. His job among, you know, in that group is primarily to be a secondary rim defender and rotating weak side to like cover kickouts. And, you know, this was what the role AD was really good at, where like he's weak side, he's going to guard the two offensive players as the one defender and, you know, pick off these kickoff, kickout passes. Braun is in that role this year as a power forward. And then as a center, he's more a mobile big, but big picture, his role, given all of his minutes, has been more as a perimeter big. And among guys in that role, he's been like the least active dude. If you if you chart out, you know, who's contesting shots at the rim, who's contesting threes. He's contesting more shots at the rim uh, relative to these guys than threes, but pretty low for both and combined like the lowest. And, you know, suppression is good. You can argue, hey, it, is it good that guys aren't getting shots off against him? That is something that we do look at. And that's something we look at with our on-ball defensive metric, which is something he doesn't grade out all that well in, um, but just his activity with is is what we're looking at with this, and it's pretty low, and this aligns with the fact that he's barely moving on defense, he's walking a lot, and this is stuff that is tracked, and we can see how far he's traveling on defense, we can see how far he's traveling while adjusting for who he's guarding to set some expectation, and by either of those factors, either of those measures, he has like F grades and, and is quite low. Um, I mean, even his rebounds, a lot of his rebounds, 80% of them defensively are uncontested. He's been quite a uh, beneficiary of some free boards and his conversion rate uncontested once has been one of the lowest among any Lakers. Uh, and, you know, part of that is he's having to play up a, a position or two and taking on some tougher situations. Again, I don't, I don't want to make this, you know, a bashing LeBron thing, but uh, just trying to spell out like some of what we're seeing from a production standpoint from him on defense is well, you know, in an easier role. And as he's aged, he's just focusing more and more on that offense. And that's good. That's what this team needs. This team can be a good defensive team while he focuses on offense. And it's just about, it's a matter of, you know, where you're focusing that energy bar. 
this is again all a like so far analysis you know as this maybe ramps up in the future we'll adjust this like I'm not saying this is how he will be but we've seen over the past couple seasons his you know matchup difficulty goes down a bit his versatility has gone up a bit as he's kind of like taken away some of the uh, from some of the harder matchups he's contesting less fewer shots he's uh, moving less so it's there's been a pretty clear shift and that doesn't mean he's bad at defense, but it's it's him able to pick his spots and be engaged when he needs to be engaged, when he's challenged on ball or something, and offensively be, be able to continue being a like top five guy in the league. So that is the Braun situation. And then with Russ, we talked about it on the last pod briefly about how he's being kept away from the point of attack a little bit more and more. Um, his defensive role this year is as a chaser. He's, he's more like chasing shooters around screens off ball, more of an off ball guard defender. And we're seeing, you know, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Austin Reeves, Avery Bradley, uh, even Bazemore and Rondo. And they were playing, they, these are all players that the Lakers chose to put at the point of attack and keep Russ as a chaser, which is interesting. And, you know, he's still used it, with all of these roles. That's the spectrum. And he's still used a decent bit at the point of attack. It's just... Uh, they're taking him a little bit away from this and that's to help him conserve energy and allow him to be the energizer bunny he is in transition and just work in the offense running the offense and again big picture these are strategic decisions where you're focusing where you're having guys you know what, what you're having them do and how they're focusing their energy and it's to me purposeful and it's okay um i mean we see his like passing lane defense it's been an F this year. He his his distance traveled. It's been an F. Uh, adjusting for the matchups is still an F. Again, not bad. Just context. Um, big picture. I think the Lakers can certainly be okay as a defensive team while having two of their three stars focus more on offense. And I'd argue that's really what they should be focusing more on. And in AD, you know, the, his job is to do both. And as like guys like Ariza and Kendrick Nunn get back, it should help the defense be stronger while continuing to allow. LeBron and Russ to, again, not all the time. This isn't, I'm sure I'm going to get some bad faith arguments saying, oh, are you saying LeBron never does this? No, but we're seeing the, the those two guys ramped down a bit and it's just a very different job what they're asked to do defensively compared to Anthony Davis. So those are my Laker topics. We're going to take a quick break and then when we come back, talk about a few NBA topics that have caught my eye recently. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Okay, so let's talk about the Defensive Player of the Year, not naming specific names, but just within the context of roles and how this is perceived and an argument we're going to hear every year and we have heard every year. And uh, we got an interesting quote from good old Patrick Beverly at halftime in uh, Wednesday. So last Wednesday's Jazz-Timberwolves game, which the Jazz won, Beverly said in his on-court interview, he said, quote, we know they have the defensive player of the year. He says, quote, unquote, defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert. So we just wanted to get out and play fast. And then Beverly, uh, what did he say? I, I like copied and pasted the quote here. Um, he said, if I'm defensive player of the year, I'm guarding the best player no matter what. I'm not roaming. It's no discredit to Royce O'Neal or any of those other guys on their team. But if I'm defensive player of the year, I'm not guarding Royce O'Neal. I'm guarding Mike Conley. I'm guarding Donovan Mitchell. I'm guarding Bogdanovich. You've got Rudy Gobert out there guarding Vanderbilt. And every time I hear he's defensive player of the year, so whatever. And he, and he kind of stops there. This is something we've heard forever and really is an interesting conversation because defensive player of the year, you can frame it a lot of different ways in, in order to point towards specific guys. And at the end of the day, I think it should be an impact thing. And that allows you to really have candidates from different positions. But for a lot of people, you have to be either a point of attack defender or a wing stopper because those are the two roles that take on tough matchups. And there's that personal element to it where it's like, I'm going to go guard your best guy. And it's tough. It's a real tough job. And there are some elite defenders in the league that do this and are really good at this. And Beverly has been one of the better point of attack ones in the past. But we see like, you know, Ben Simmons as a wing stopper. Some of these guys, they're going to go out, they're going to guard your best player and do a pretty good job with it. And then there are other players like in the past, uh, Giannis and Anthony Davis being perimeter bigs in previous years where they would be criticized for not guarding the other team's best player because they were most effective and impactful and did a great job being the off-ball kind of like weak side guy who's going to gobble up kick-out passes and allow you to go defend the rim with extra help and not have to worry about your weak side. And, and, you know, of course, there'll be secondary rim defenders, and I'm not saying this is all they do. Everything's on a spectrum, but certain positions are geared towards guarding the other team's best guy. Certain positions are geared towards other things. An anchor big like Rudy Gobert, he's not out there to guard your best player. He's out there to guard and, and defend the rim. Uh, so if he can guard somebody who's a non-shooting guard or wing, he, the Jazz will put him on them. And they'll, they'll allow him to go defend the rim 
and force you to, you know, run dribble handoffs and things to punish them for having him kind of sink away from that offensive player. Him guarding Jared Vanderbilt doesn't mean that, you know, he's not good or not impactful. It's just a different job altogether. So it's, it is a conversation we will hear. And I personally have no problem with either end of it, but just recognize like Gobert's job is to defend the rim. Uh, you know, AD's job is to be super versatile and switch on to guys as a mobile big. Giannis's job as a perimeter big is to gobble up weak sided kickouts and, and be a secondary defender at the rim. The point of attack defenders, you know, they're guarding the toughest guard defend, uh, you know, on ball guard player on the other team. The wing stoppers, they're guarding those wing scorers. Helpers like LeBron last season, they're out there to put out little fires. These are all different jobs. They're all they all matter, and comparing them apples to apples just isn't something we can quite do unless you're comparing guys within the same job. So just just some important context and in something that, you know, I'm sure we'll hear more and more of as the season progresses. Second topic, again, super, super quick one. Uh, I just want to point out, you know, Houston Rockets, they are kicking butt past 10 games. They have the second best luck adjusted offensive rating. They are running much better concepts. They're so much more coherent offensively. How you use your players matters. Same guys using them better. Um, we're, we are still seeing guys, you know, grow. I'm not saying everybody's, you know, the same every single day all year, but how they've tangibly grown from an organizational standpoint in terms of how they use their players is pretty apparent and a good example of how a team can turn around their offense if you get some outside help and, and you know, set your players up better to succeed. I think a, a good, you know, good, good thing to point out for the Lakers. And then we'll get to our one Lakers data trend. And this is that over the last 10 games of the season for every team in the league, comparing every team's, you know, their performance within the last 10 games, the Lakers are 11th in terms of luck adjusted offensive efficiency and sixth in terms of luck adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, This isn't adjusting for who they're playing. This is just adjusting for luck driven factors like uh, some like three point shooting stuff, free throw shooting, trying to replace actual results with expected results based on the shots that we're taking and this is something that's utilized by a number of different metrics to help get more predictive uh you know labels for how teams have performed and over the past 10 games overall the lakers have been eighth best in the league so that is really encouraging they are on the upswing and it's tracking with the fact that they are doing much better offensively from an approach standpoint and defensively they're getting, you know, guys to step up like Ellington and Monk, and it's it's been really encouraging on that end of the court as well. So that is all for today. A quick three, two, one. It's you know a nice thirty minutes, not not too short, not too long. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful Monday, and Tom and I will catch you. I think tomorrow we're going to record, so you'll hear from us soon. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.